Welcome to Dictatorium, episode 2.2, Young Nikolai. Last time on Dictatorium, we explored the geography and history of Romania. A one-time enemy of the Roman Republic became a Roman province, only to be left by the wayside when the Romans got oppressed. Overrun by rival nomadic tribes for centuries, by the Middle Ages we start to see Romanians become a distinct group in the Eastern Balkans. The Ottomans came in and ran the show through local proxies for about five centuries, much to the chagrin of everyone's favorite blood-loving prince, Vlad Dracul, before Romania became its own country in the latter half of the 19th century. By the end of World War I, Romania had added something like 50% to its territory and population. It was during this time that the man who will take center stage in our story was born. Nicolae Ceausescu was born on the 5th of February, 1918, in the village of Scornicesti, which is about 120 kilometers west of Romania's capital, Bucharest. He was one of ten children, all of whom lived in a two-room house with their mother and father. Village life in most places can be pretty dull, and rural Romania in the 1920s was no exception. Like a lot of men in a lot of different places, Nikolai's father, Andruza, was prone to drinking, gambling, and just kind of hanging around instead of doing actual work. When his mother gave birth to another son in 1924, his father was so drunk that he named this newborn kid Nikolai, although he already had a son by that name. Way to go, Andruza. If you haven't guessed already, the family is pretty poor, living off his father's few hectares of land and a small herd of sheep. When Andruza was finished doing what little work he actually did accomplish, he was most likely found drinking at his neighbor's pub. There's a story about Andruza that one time his neighbor, the barkeep, asked him to pay his bill. Sure, fine, I'll get you the money. But in retaliation, Andruza snuck into the neighbor's house and burned his IOUs. I don't know if we should call that a life hack or what. By contrast, Nikolai's mother, Alexandrina, was devoutly religious and hardworking. Nikolai had to get a job at a young age to help the family out since his deadbeat dad was too busy getting drunk and his mom had her hands full with all the children. So he started doing tailoring when he wasn't tending the sheep. He started school in Scornachesti, where he showed up with no books and barefooted. The family was sleeping on wooden bitches in the tiny house, which would probably make a modern family claustrophobic. So it made sense that he showed up at school ill-equipped. I mean, this kid barely had enough Mama Liga to eat, and if you don't know what Mama Liga is, it's a corn mush porridge that's still popular in Romania and probably tastes like dirt. Anyhow, Nikolai was known as a smart boy, but kind of a loner. And he'd stay that way for the rest of his life, really. He didn't have any friends at this point. Heck, his only real friend during his entire life was his future wife, whom we'll get to know shortly. Despite this economic and domestic hardship, Nikolai always did well in school. This lonely kid was already outgrowing the village, though. He didn't feel like he really fit in there, and in reality, his prospects were not ever really going to improve. No fortune to inherit, and no real skills, meant that if he stayed in the village, he'd almost certainly never do anything more than tend some sheep and work a plot of land. So in 1929, at the age of 10 or 11, Nikolai packed his meager possessions and left for Romania's capital, Bucharest. At the time, Bucharest was by far the largest and most cosmopolitan city in Romania. Sometimes called Little Paris, it was a maze of factories, cafes, theaters, horse carts, and cars. 
it was also the fastest growing city in the country, gaining an average of 30,000 people every year between the end of World War I and the start of World War II. His older sister Nicolina already lived there, so at least he had a place to get started from, and soon he got a job as a shoemaker's apprentice. He trained under Alexandru Sandulescu, who was a member of the fledgling but illegal Romanian Communist Party. Nicolae never did take to shoemaking, but he took to communist ideology like a duck to water. Before long, Ceausescu had put down the cobbler's tools and was working on behalf of the Communist Party to do stuff that older members could not or would not do. He'd distribute pamphlets and petitions much like a newsboy would sell papers. He formally joined the party at 14 and was starting to get sent to various cities in Romania to do jobs for the party, places like Campolong, Ramniku Valcea in the country center, and Kraeva in the north. Nikolai was arrested for the first time at age 15 for starting trouble at a rally organized by future Communist Party and Romanian leader Gheorghe Gheorghe Dej. He was arrested again at 16, charged with being quote-unquote a dangerous communist agitator and a distributor of communist and anti-fascist propaganda. The court in Brasov found him guilty, and he got a hefty fine, two years in jail. Couldn't take the hint, though, so a little contempt of court got him an extra six months and a year of house arrest in Skornachesti. He spent the largest part of his sentence in the Daftana prison, which was notoriously bad in Romania. He was reportedly tough, vengeful, and envious. Doftana was known for not only being brutal, but also being a breeding ground for socialist revolutionaries. This was helped by the fact that Doftana had a prison newspaper, which obviously was not okay with the prison authorities. The prisoners would write articles on any scrap of paper they could get their hands on, including cigarette wraps, to write articles, which they would pass back and forth throughout the cell block. They also worked with the local population to pass their paper to the outside world, and to bring news in from the outside... The propagators in the newspaper were, surprise surprise, almost exclusively communist, and therefore could promulgate communist ideology inside the prison. Ceausescu's communist education went into overdrive. Before he went into prison, he had an intro to socialism and agitation. By the time he got out of jail in 1939, he had basically gotten a bachelor's degree in communism. As soon as he was released, Ceausescu hooked up with his old friends and got back to work promoting the Romanian Communist Party. Of course, the party had been banned for years, and known affiliation with it would land you in jail. For that reason, a lot of Romanian communists immigrated to the Soviet Union, the world's only communist government at the time. They would become known as the Muscovite faction, who would attempt to lead the Romanian communists from Moscow. Gheorghe Udej would end up leading the prison faction, made up of those loyal to him who had served time in places like Duftana. This distinction becomes pretty important later on in our story. It was during his short release from prison in 1939 that Ceausescu experienced the pivotal event in his personal life. He met a young girl named Helena Petrescu. Petrescu was from northwest of Bucharest and was the daughter of a plowman. She'd gotten a basic education, leaving school at age 14 possibly due to bad behavior, but also because she had some pretty bad grades and wouldn't be allowed into any high school. Much like Ceausescu, She'd moved to Bucharest to get out of the boring old village life 
and worked as a laboratory assistant before getting a job in textiles. According to her report card, sewing was the only thing she was good at, and that kind of makes sense. She joined the Communist Party earlier in 1939, and her brother's wife took her to various party meetings and gatherings. According to one source, Elena wasn't there to further the Communist cause. What she was really doing was looking for the man of her dreams. It was at one of these meetings that she met Nikolai, and it was an instant match. They were inseparable pretty much from the moment they met, and were soon engaged to be married. Within a year, though, Ceausescu was back in prison, and this time, he was going to be there for a long time. After World War I, Romanian politics found itself in a fight between the two leading political parties and the monarchy, which wanted to control both of them. King Ferdinand, who took the throne in 1914, died in 1927 and handed the throne over to his grandnephew Michael. But Michael was still a kid, and so really his father, Carol II, had power, especially after 1930. The inner years were tough for the communists. The repressive government of King Carol meant they had to operate in secret, and membership was low because anyone who stuck their head up got nabbed by the secret police, called the Siguranza. Plus, Romania was still overwhelmingly rural, despite the huge growth in the cities. The workers that the Communist Party were trying to push into rebellion were still a minority in almost every area in the country. Industry was making its way into Romania, but it still lagged behind the nations of Central and Western Europe in just about every measure. The Great Depression, which was brought on by a collapse on the New York Stock Exchange in 1929, led to a worldwide economic downturn. By 1933, world trade was down 33% compared to just four years earlier. The effects were massive all over the globe, and Romania was no exception. Businesses collapsed, and much of the newly emergent middle class was forced into poverty. The Romanian government started using austerity measures like reduced salaries, but due to the worldwide scale of the crisis, Romania couldn't escape unharmed. As a result, people got hungry started trying to find ways to vent that anger. The communists were waiting with open arms. But they weren't the only ones that benefited from the poor economic conditions of the 30s. The anarchists, the social democrats, and right-wing parties all gained adherents who were upset with the status quo. One of the effects of this social tension was a marked rise in anti-Semitism. Romania wasn't alone in this, though. The 1930s is when Hitler's Nazi party really took off, cemented its power, and started exporting its anti-Semitic ideals abroad. The Nazis found willing converts in Romania. Soon, a paramilitary organization called the Iron Guard formed. They were like Hitler's brown shirts, except they wore green. So, they got to be known as the green shirts. Pretty simple, huh? Their membership came predominantly from the peasantry and students. By 1933, the Romanian government under Prime Minister Ion Duca banned the green shirts. They retaliated by murdering him at a train station in December of that year. In 1937's parliamentary elections, the Iron Guard, which had renamed itself the Everything for the Fatherland Party, won 15.5% of the vote, putting it in third place behind the National Liberal and National Peasant Parties, respectively. It's a pretty big deal, because the National Liberals and the National Peasants had been the dominant political parties in Romania for years. The liberals were made up of not only intellectuals, but also bankers and industrialists, 
and they ran Romania for most of the 1920s. They promoted measures that would benefit all classes of society, unlike the national peasants who advocated strongly for measures that would largely benefit the rural population. Let's not think the national peasants were anti-industry, though. They did promote growth in industry, but on a smaller and more narrowly defined scale than the liberals. In 1940, the Soviet Union invaded Bessarabia and northern Bukovina, and southern Dobrogea was ceded to Bulgaria, stripping Romania of some of the lands it had required in the wake of the First World War. King Carol II abdicated in the wake of this crushing defeat, leaving the throne to his young son, Michael who was now 19 years old. On the day of his coronation, the 6th of September, Michael declared that Romanian General Ioan Antonescu would become the leader of the state. Antonescu was an anti-Semite and had various connections with the Iron Guard. His control over the Romanian government would lead the country into an alliance with Nazi Germany. When German troops invaded the Soviet Union in 1941, Romanian troops took part. Romania had been a neighbor to the Russian Empire and then the Soviet Union, and although they didn't always get along and could be considered rivals, relations had never gotten to the point where shots were being fired. Now, Romania found itself supporting its new ally Germany against its Soviet neighbors, and also against traditional allies like France and Great Britain. All the new industries that had grown up in Romania since independence were put to use feeding the German war machines against neighbors and former friends. I want to take a minute to talk about why Romania sided with Germany during World War II. And as I just said, Romania had been allies with France and to a lesser extent Britain for years. So why would they join their mortal enemy, Nazi Germany? Well, it was a question was what was worse for Romania. When they joined the war, Germany was winning on almost all fronts. They'd conquered Western Poland, France, Denmark, the Netherlands. Belgium, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Denmark, and Norway by this point. I mean, they were just steamrolling all of Europe. Italy was already fighting with the Germans, and it had invaded Greece in October of 1940. The Germans joined them in Greece the next year. Bulgaria had chosen to side with the Germans as well, and Hungary was essentially a German client state anyway, as was Yugoslavia. Romania was surrounded by the Germans to the north, west, and south. To the east lay the Soviet Union, which had just taken parts of Greater Romania away from them, and who had been rivals for Romanian territory for generations. Antonescu was obviously a fascist, because remember, he was on friendly terms with the green shirts. It also makes sense that Romania would take a look at their chances of standing against the as-yet-unbeatable Germany when their closest allied nation was what? Greece? Oh yeah, they're done already. It really wasn't much of a choice at all. At the start of the war, Romania was the world's sixth largest producer of oil. Germany essentially has no oil of its own, and so like Japan in the Pacific, it had to get its oil from somewhere. Norway has plenty, but German shipping was getting hammered by Allied navies, and so a better alternative was to go get oil via overland routes. Hungary and Romania were to fulfill this role, either voluntarily or by force. To keep Romania from direct German rule, Antonescu would lead the country into a military and economic alliance. But honestly, it didn't matter that Antonescu supported Hitler, because Romania would get taken over by the Germans either way. 
Once the German invasion of the Soviet Union started, codenamed Operation Barbarossa, one of the Wehrmacht's early objective was to race to and capture Russian oil fields. These were mostly located in southern Russia, namely in the Caucasus region, and would therefore be handled by German Army Group South, which included Romanian troops. While the initial advance into the Soviet Union were largely successful, the Germans eventually got bogged down in Russia. Moscow was never taken. Leningrad underwent a 900-day siege that, but didn't fall, and Army Group South got hung up at this little place called Stalingrad. If you haven't heard of the Battle of Stalingrad, it essentially boiled down to this. Hitler wanted to take the city, which was named after Joseph Stalin, as a way to ensure the Russians couldn't hit him in the rear, but also to placate his own ego. Stalin wouldn't give up Stalingrad because, well, you can't very well give up a city that's named after you. The battle for Stalingrad started in August 1942 and would go on until February of 1943. Initially, the Germans, with their Romanian and sometimes Hungarian allies, attacked the city and really put the squeeze on the Soviets. In November, the Soviets struck back, staging a huge offensive operation aimed not only at the Germans themselves, but at those Romanian and Hungarian troops who were guarding the German flanks. The attack, called Operation Uranus, was a great success and sounded the death knell for the German troops at Stalingrad. Between the start of Operation Uranus and the end of fighting at Stalingrad, more than 158,000 Romanian troops were killed, captured, or wounded. Romania's army, in its first expedition abroad during the war, was in tatters. From here on, Romanian troops were only to fight in defensive operations, and always while on the retreat back towards their homeland. And more bad news for Romania, Allied air attacks started against the country in 1943 and would continue until Romania's capitulation. The oil field at Poeshti, northwest of Bucharest, was bombed in August of that year. Railroads, which were essential to getting troops and materiel to the German armies in Russia, were also bombed all over the country. In 1944, the Allies started bombing Bucharest itself, once again going after the train stations. But the bombing campaign wouldn't last long. On August 23, 1944, King Michael launched a coup against Antonescu and brought his government down. The Germans immediately retaliated and for three days bombed Bucharest with their own air force. While the Germans thought they would have a chance to reverse the coup and gain back control of Romania, Michael ordered Romanian troops to turn their guns against the Germans. This switch of sides was recognized by the Allies in September, and Romania would now start to advance towards Germany alongside Soviet troops. Part of the agreement allowing Romania to enter the war for the Allies stipulated that the Allies would have the power to decide what to do with Romania at the end of the war. The Soviet military entered the country and soon were laying down plans to assault a Soviet puppet state. Now I want to leave off here for this episode, and next time we'll see how the Allies gave Romania to the Soviets, how King Michael wasn't long to sit on the throne, and how a former cobbler's apprentice would soon see his star finally rising in a newly communist Romania.